Tim O'Malley with Tim Priester from Irish Illustrated. It's Irish Illustrated Insider joining us, Pete Sampson from The Athletic. It's Thursday, August 20th, and we need to speak quickly before something changes and makes what we are about to record obsolete. But Notre Dame football is on pause as of yesterday. A spike in COVID-19 positive tests has uh, put the campus into an online mode. And Notre Dame football, no practice on Wednesday waiting to hear about what might happen Thursday as test results come back from the latest uh, run of tests with the, the football team. But Nordic football on pause, and it feels like the crossroads again, which we've talked about on a couple of occasions. Yeah, we're just permanently stuck in this limbo state, right? It's, uh, I mean, they tested on Monday. That was expected. Then the, the campus sort of shuts down. And then they test again on Wednesday. And so we're sitting here waiting to, to figure out what the, the nature of those tests are, because, you know, if, if Notre Dame football is going to mirror the campus at large, they're, they're in trouble. Um, and if they continue to sort of run counter to that, if their, their positivity rate is much lower than the student body in general, then they continue to have a chance, but that's a, it's going to be a big, a big news drop later today. And I realize People on social media hate when you you post anything about testing numbers, but that's that's where we are right now. <laughs> that's I mean, reality, man. Those numbers need to be better for Notre Dame football to continue. Yeah, and uh, I have that sneaking suspicion we're not going to say, "Wow, they're still testing like champions," either, just because we need a cross section of students. It's going to get tougher. People go to parties. Football players shouldn't go to parties. That's all. There's I I don't judge anybody what they want to do, but they have something much more to lose this fall and. Go to the parties in November. Football players. <laughs> it's just other th- I'm telling you, man, this is – I do not judge regular students. We knew this was going to happen. I didn't know it could be quite this bad. But you knew students were going to not have parties when they get back to school and don't have school. It's the most dangerous week by far, other than finals are over, um, <laughs> is when you come back in early August, there is not a whole lot on your plate for school. And no matter how serious of a student you are, this is your time to go do something. And unfortunately, they gathered in uh, enclosed spaces, apparently. Yeah, football players shouldn't go to parties. They shouldn't throw parties either. That's, Absolutely should not. That's, that's why this test is going to stink. So that's, that's even more dangerous, and I, and I agree that I think, I, I think that this is going to be uh, by, you know, it's going to be worse than the previous test. So we'll, we'll find out. I want to. We had several questions asked, and we're just going to go ahead and address it in the first segment. The the notion and Tim and it's, Tim, you and I kind of, you know, we're talking out loud that. Uh, uh, you know, the football teams come too far and work too hard. And if there's, you know, if they go online, the football teams still play. Like if, if, if they take the regular student body off campus, no, there's not going to be Nordic football either. You're, you're, I, I know in this dream world, we think that, um, you know, you can, you can go, you can send the student body home and the football players because they're doing so well with their COVID testing can go ahead and, stick around and play football it's not going to work that way I was in that dream world until two days ago and then I found out I shouldn't be in that dream world but uh, that dream world should exist in our lives <laughs> that dream world should still be a thing I mentioned it in the summer kind of joking on this podcast and I got a funny look I think when I said I think Notre Dame's football players should be on campus and nobody else should be there because it'd be a lot safer <laughs> that's exactly what it is uh, I just now I don't believe it's going to happen um Look, if they come back with – let's say they come back with one positive test. I mean, you imagine the disappointment of these football players for all they've done if they get sent home because after two weeks the students get sent home? 
Yeah. Now, Pete, I, Pete, what's your I, perspective on this, Pete? I I never thought uh, that I would get to a point where I would say, yeah, I could see Notre Dame football playing when students run on campus, but I'm, I'm at that point now. Um, I think that everyone is making compromises uh, philosophically at this point. And I, I think Notre Dame should as well. Um, you know, we all think football, they should. Notre Dame football players were on campus in the summer when campus was closed, along with international students. I don't see why you couldn't do that again. Um, I, I'm just saying I don't. They're not going to do that. Is that? Yeah, your we all agree with you. We, we but, all agree they should, right? I think they're. Yeah, they're, I think that. I, I don't know. So. I don't. I don't know. I mean, Pete, I never thought I'd hear you say. I agree. I never thought I'd hear you say that. Yeah. No. I, I just. Like, think about the world we lived in in March where there were just a few cases in Indiana and everything shut down. And you're like, of course, you got to do that. Five months later, I, I think we all have to have our perspectives adjusted on, like, what's safe and what's not. Um, and what, you know, what meets the mission of the university and what doesn't. Um, I think in this instance, I, I can completely get behind Notre Dame playing football this fall when the students uh, – the overwhelming majority of the students are are online. It because it's safer for the football players if you do it that way. If protecting the health of the student athlete is is the first priority, which they said over and over and over, that's that's how you would prioritize the health of your football team is by not having students around. Yeah, I. But again, it's my understanding that Norton was not going to do that, and and I don't. You know, is it? Is it because they don't like the image that it presents? It, it, look, if everybody's still participating in, in school, in, in, in not in the classroom, but online, I, I just don't, I, I mean, I just, I don't understand it. And if and when it happens, we will, I'm sure we'll get a clear explanation of it. There was a question, with, as you said, Tim, there's been many questions about this, but it was really well put and very simply, and, and Pete alluded to it just now, if students are taking online classes and, and they're home, it's not that much different for football players to take online classes, but be playing the sport they were brought there on scholarship to be playing. It's really not giving them any extra benefit. They are still taking online classes. They are still toiling hours and hours and hours for their sport. It doesn't hurt anything. It's not like they're, it's not like the students have to go to class and they're protecting the players in some bubble and they're taking online classes. I mean, everyone's taking online classes. They're treated, yeah, they're treated exactly like everybody else. Right, exactly. Uh, and I think that, you know, you look at it from, I don't know, the point of view of your Notre Dame and the, um, the, the financial ramifications of this are so severe that having football go forward would alleviate a small bit of that, um, that, that you would do that. Um, I don't, and I don't know how this fits in with the ACC either. Can Notre Dame unilaterally say we're out um we're out of football when they decided to be all in for the season I, I don't know the particulars of that either um so I if I I don't know if Notre Dame will do this I just think that they should I think they, yeah. they should be open to playing football this fall not because I want to see a football season even though I do but for the health of your student athletes that's what makes the most sense I think Tim and I we we definitely feel the exact same way but it's just the uh tim was saying that it doesn't matter how we feel you now believe that it's not going to happen no matter how many people find yeah the logic in it. i mean it's it's my understanding that 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 was the uh, the impression given to the football team that if the student body goes you're going to have to go too i hate that somewhere on twitter and twitter 
you know, God is one of the most evil things that <laughs> has ever been allowed on the, I'm exaggerating, but somebody said, well, Hey, you know, they, they, they came at school is just a money grab. Yeah. It's a money grab. This is a, this is a university. This is a, a university with a, with an athletic department. Yes. That's how these places function. Yes. Notre Dame desperately wanted their student body to come back and go to school. You know, I mean, if you want to call money grabbing, call whatever the hell you want to call it, but this is the real world and Notre Dame needs to function. And the longer that Notre Dame is shut down, the more difficult it is for Notre Dame and every other major university to function properly beyond sports. I totally agree. I mean, it's like <laughs> one, of, one of the really. I'm not trying to convince work, you guys. I'm just being. No, you're, 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 you don't it's, have to. It's <laughs> been a it's a really unfortunate narrative that's like you got all these woke columns out there about like oh they're you're, they're just doing it for the money. It, school is a business. Football is a business. Um, if you don't have revenue coming in and you have expenses, you're out of business. Um, and that's those are the trend lines right now. So I, I completely understand if you can do it safely. I mean, it'd be one thing if the, this question was like myocarditis related and that was clearly unsafe and it was only the ACC was going forward. But that, that's, not, that's not where things are. That's not where the science is right now. Um, this, for Notre Dame not to play football is going to be a question of educational philosophy. And I think to, for Notre Dame to allow that to dictate the cancellation of the season, I just think is a mistake. That leads us to uh, the, the potential for Notre Dame versus South Florida. Irish Illustrated reported that that was scheduled. I, I need to make a Corona correction and, and, and be, be a little bit careful about saying scheduled and say expected to play South Florida on September 19th, because let's face it, this is a, to a large extent, this this whole football season is a house of cards, and so um, you know I'm sure that they're I'm sure the wording of of contracts now are a little bit different than they they once were pre pandemic. But um, South Florida, um, last time they're in Notre Dame Stadium nine years ago, uh, we all remember that. What a unique situation that was. Not a great day for Brian Kelly. Not a great day for not a good look for Brian Kelly. That day, um, a, a significant loss to start the season. Charlie Weiss Jr. is the 26-year-old offensive coordinator at South Florida, which I, which I found uh, interesting. Pete, you talked to him recently. I actually contacted him yesterday. Uh, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, but I came I, on our podcast. I came very close to actually coaching Charlie Weiss Jr. in baseball at Notre Dame when he was very young, and that ended up not working out. But um, anyway, there's a possibility. South Florida is not, I know they were only five and seven in 2011, uh, but Nordane's program wasn't as advanced under Brian Kelly as it is now. South Florida is a bad football team with a first year head coach, uh, the longtime offensive coordinator at, uh, at, at Clemson. Uh, but there's that possibility. And I mean, we talk about money grab, but Nordane needs a home game. They need the, they need the NBC TV money if they can possibly get it it's one of the reasons why they ended they they continue to uh, they they stuck with playing western michigan because there would have been a fee for a cancellation fee so you can call it whatever you want it but uh, pete as you said i mean universities exist because they are big they're big businesses and the sports part of it is big business as well yeah i you know if if we if we substituted money grab out for 
job saving maneuver, would that make people feel better? Because that's what it is. People at Notre Dame are going to lose their jobs um, based on what happens over the next month with, with Notre Dame football and, and certainly the university at large. So maybe, maybe that's a better way to look at it. Cause that that's the reality that we're living in. I, the South Florida, I was, I guess I was surprised that Notre Dame felt like they needed the 11th game just because it, it adds a degree of difficulty to something that is already incredibly difficult. Um, I mean, I'm all for more football, but um, I guess I was just surprised that Notre Dame didn't look at that as, you know what, let's just play 10. Um, we don't need a, a non-conference game. Uh, I spoke to, I, I spoke to Jack Schwarber class Friday and, at that point, he was noncommittal. I, you know, are you going to play or are, are you going to reschedule a game or aren't you? And he said neither right now because they hadn't officially made a decision. And I don't know, you know, that's why I, I need to be a little bit more careful about the exact wording here because um, Corona correction puts you in a situation where you you have to look at these uh, these deals a little bit differently. But um, you know, I think it's a, I think it's an opportunity for a home game. I think it's an opponent that Notre Dame should beat fairly easily, considering where Notre Dame is. And uh, we can only be fortunate to see a Duke game on September September 12th, let alone South Florida on September 19th. I just want to – someday we need to have an official oral history of the South Florida-Notre Dame game in 2011 and also the unofficial one when none of us are in this business anymore and nobody at Notre Dame is still involved because the unofficial one with all those delays – is awesome. So <laughs> it shaped seasons. Uh, what went on during those delays? That was one long halftime. Yeah, that was one. So, there are a lot of long lot of players. I mistakenly, yeah, I mistakenly said pregame. It, that, that was one long, and then the game is almost over, and then you have another delay. Fortunately, it wasn't as long as the first one. Total weight gain in the press box that day by sports writers probably set a record as well with all the uh, <laughs> times. Did it get to six and a half hours? I haven't gone back and looked at the box scores. I, I don't remember. It was. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. God. It definitely passed that. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna look. I'll pull it up. That's good. <laughs> last thing. Or- last thing we want to talk about here in segment one. Uh, we've been working under the 86 scholarship assumption that is now. 85 redshirt freshman offensive guard John Olmstead has decided to transfer from Notre Dame. So they're down to 85 scholarships. It was a long road to hoe there for, for John Olmstead, even though he was early in his career, especially when you consider the two of the guards that are coming in next year. Uh, I know they would be a couple years behind him, but uh, you know, I, I, I don't think, I don't think Fisher and Spindler will be sitting on the bench too long for Notre Dame. So they're down to 85. We wouldn't have known who had their scholarship removed, or at least we wouldn't have been told by the university had it remained at 86, but that's not an issue anymore. Nope. And uh, Notre Dame is replete with guards. When you listed all the guys, listed all the guards in the Olmstead story yesterday. And uh, then you add Josh Lug, who's a tackle, who would also be the first guard off the bench. So it was going to be a very tough time for Olmstead to ever get playing time. Uh, they gave him a shot at center, but Notre Dame also has three centers ahead of him, if you think of Zeke Carell and Colin Grunhardt, obviously, backing up Jarrett Patterson. So in terms of playing time, probably the only move. Yeah, I mean, you had a class of four offensive linemen. Not all four are going to work out. It never That never happens. You're right, so. it never has. So that's, you know, this is expected. And uh, right now, I think that you look at the three who are remaining and you feel 
optimistic that those those three will click, whether it's starting capacity or like a, just a, a very capable backup, that they'll they'll add something to Notre Dame moving forward. So three or four, that's pretty good. I would suggest in certain instances that it's better to get a Notre Dame degree than to go somewhere else and play football. Uh, but that, you know, that's John Olmstead's call. And, um, and so they're down to 85. We'll, we, we will be back for segment two, burning up the boards with questions from our readers. Mother's day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue Nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones. Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast. Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to Segment 2, Burning Up the Boards. Our first question from Matt Rogers. Where do things stand with wide receiver recruiting? Jaden Thomas seems like a possibility. But is there any momentum with Dante Thornton or Deion Colby? Anyone else being considered? I think Notre Dame will get Jaden Thomas uh, when, when all is said and done. Now the next question will be when. <laughs> I'm not going to even try to answer that. But I, I, but I think Jaden Thomas will end up in Notre Dame uniform. I like him a lot. Uh, you know, n- not a guy that's necessarily going to run a 4-4-5, but a really, really good athlete. Uh, if not a, a, a number one receiver, a 1A or a, a 2. Uh, I, th- I think he's going to be a really good football player. Momentum with Deion Colsey, I haven't really heard that. Dante Thornton, um, Oregon, obviously in the mix there. I don't think the Notre Dame ends up winning that, but I think they have a better chance of Thornton than they do Colsey. As far as anyone else being considered, Titus Mikhail, Adam Alala is a guy that uh, Notre Dame likes at safety. I think he will end up in a Notre Dame uniform as well. He can play wide receiver, like him much better as a safety. But I think right now, Jaden Thomas, is the most likely, and I'm not sure who would be number two most likely after that. I agree with everything you said there. I think that's, that's the, the most most likely path for Notre Dame to, to recruit at those positions is exactly how you described it. And Jaden Thomas is just, you know, a lot of times, I think I've said this before in a podcast, a guy, you know, a guy isn't a 4-4 four, four or 4-5, four, but yet he's a really good athlete. And I think that that's exactly what Jaden Thomas is. I think he, he's bigger and stronger than his – he's, like, listed at 6'1", 205, or 210. He looks much bigger and stronger and athletic than that. I think he's a really good football player and a, a really good receiver. And I, I would be disappointed for Notre Dame if they didn't land him because they need, they need another receiver, at least one more receiver. Question from Nat J. Tafel. Do you see a scenario in which students are returned home, let football players stay on campus, taking online classes and living in sort of a bubble? They can still take classes like other students, but will be safer than most. I meant to eliminate that question since we talked about that in segment one, but uh, I don't know if you guys want to add anything to that. I would just say that I can, I can imagine that scenario quite easily. It just, it takes Notre Dame swallowing pretty hard (laughs) to get there. Yeah, we can we can imagine that. it, but we don't think Notre Dame's going to do that. I want them to do that. I want to play football this year. I want Notre Dame to do that. I want to see the Clemson game. Doesn't really matter what I want, but I want all those things to happen. Yeah, I mean, most of them are living off campus anyway. Pete, right. Do you know what percentage? Right. I know you wrote about in the, our 
freshmen are off campus too, not all of them, correct? Yeah, not all of them. Um, like I, I touched base with the father of uh, Aiden, Kayla, and Ina, and he said that Aiden's in the dorms. So I don't, I don't know how many exactly are in the dorms. A bunch of them are, but a bunch of them are off. So what's you know, the difference if the majority, I'm sorry, Tim, but what's the difference if the majority of the team is living in apartments and taking online classes while the student body is not on campus taking online classes? I think the key is that uh, whoever lives in a dorm doesn't go off campus and go to parties and come back to the dorm. I mean, I sort of view it. Okay. So Notre Dame is shut down right now. Everyone's online, but the football team's continuing to practice. Hopefully. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, let's say Notre Dame returns to practice tomorrow, but school is online for the next week and a half. Well, that's, that's one step towards, allowing it and if that works the players are safe i think you can take another step forward um we we will see i i just don't i i, I do not like at all the argument that and it's you know, maybe less true at notre dame like these players are taken care of much much better at notre dame than they would be at home and when it, i wrote a story on this on monday where i talked you know did the I talked to eight parents and texted with another eight. There, there are differences of opinion about whether they, you know, playing is a great idea or like, eh, I'm a little but uneasy about it. But there is an absolute 100%. I want my son to be at Notre Dame around the team with those resources and with the testing because that's what's safest. So it, it's safe. If, what's safest is the players remain at Notre Dame, whether school is in session or not. Wash ND, do you think the quick saliva tests that were approved by the FDA could be the real game changer when it comes to having a college football season? In the spring? Yeah. I mean, that's Notre Dame's building out capacity to, to run these tests. For September 12th? No. Yeah, it doesn't. I don't, think it, I don't think it affects anything in the September, October. But, you know, think about this. Okay, so let, let's say if you had it right now, so you would be able to test them in a heartbeat. It's not a quick turnaround test, though. Like it oh, has it's to not, go to, oh, yeah, it's not a fifteen-minute, thirty-minute. Okay, it's, it's a day or two because it has to go out to a lab. Um, okay, so but it's still... maybe, maybe those evolve over time, right? Like you know, yeah. there, there, where there's a a speed to that test that doesn't exist right now. Irish fan one fifty-one of the players Brian Kelly praised in his Zoom uh, conference. Which name surprised you the most? Which name? are you most confident in having an impact on defense? And he throws in Simon, Lamb, Kaiser, or others. He named all the Bucks. There's a lot of them. Five Buck linebackers competing. Someone's going to move to Mike. Um, I mean, Litchfield, Adjavon, I think, was named because safeties were asked about specifically in terms of depth. And, you know, there's – I think he got some opportunities this past week he wouldn't normally have had. Uh, That name would surprise me in terms of a player that would make an impact this year. None of the Bucks' names surprise me because they're all competing. If you don't, if you don't have, I mean, I don't think Osita Aquanu is going to remain as a fifth stream Buck. You have to make some moves. Tim and I might have talked about this right after an instant analysis. You, you're not going to have five Bucks and, and two and a half mics, three mics. You know, it, it's you got to find a role. But Kelly knows that Aquanu will not be higher than a second string mic because of Bo Bauer. So you take a look at Buck. That's where the reps are. 
Um, as far as being confident of the names he said, Jack Lamb is the only one I'm confident that will have an impact healthy this year. No, I would agree with point. that. I yeah, mean, I think because Lamb had an impact last year yeah. before he got right. hurt. Yeah, yeah. Azravon was was surprising, and he didn't he didn't say. I mean, he says he's had a nice camp. He didn't say that he was in the running for for playing time or a starting spot. And uh, uh, but again, a little surprised uh, to hear his name. But there's a limited number of of safeties too. So. And he was specifically asked about safeties. Well, Pete, we mentioned it on incident analysis. I don't know if you saw it. I think it's relevant that he was asked about safeties and the first thing he said was Sean Crawford. Yeah, no, that that's stood out to me as well because it's, like that's a you're robbing the corner position, which is not overly talented, uh, to put Crawford at safety. No, but that's, I think you I think you can comfortably put McLeod and Bracey on the field at corner and feel pretty damn good about what you have. There. Yeah. i just like, I wouldn't feel comfortable with two corners. Um, you know, it's, a, I, I, I would, I would want three corners rotating through so, during the fall. Yeah. Uh, no, I agree. So who, who's going to emerge opposite of, of Kyle Hamilton? Because, you know, when, when Brian Kelly has to say about uh, Griff, when he says about Griffith that he's still learning, I mean, never a good sign. Pete, young, we know a few young of those. player that's going to be a junior, and that is junior eligibility wise too. That that has played, that played extensively as a freshman. I mean, we all saw the clip of of uh, Kyron Williams faking him out on the sideline again, reading too much into one clip. But I mean, at, at what point? At what point is is he going to emerge at safety? Isaiah Pryor is he any? Can Isaiah Pryor play really outside of the box? Um, where's DJ Brown? I don't really know who's. We didn't. That's why we needed a spring to see you know those guys run around out there and see who who could do what. But uh, I, I don't know who's going to emerge next to Hamilton, which is probably why Brian Kelly said Sean Crawford's name yeah. first. <laughs> I, I think he'll be involved. If what if it's one of those guys and Sean Crawford? You know, you're not you don't have to play every. Crawford can play both corner and safety, and he can start at nickel. Did you guys see the uh, Nick McLeod tweet um, that said? I don't know uh, what that meant? I, I I think it means he's beating somebody out. But the beautiful thing about this game is that clout won't save you when it's time to compete. In other words, he's the new guy, and now it's time to compete. I mean, I took that as he's having a good camp, and clout is the guys that were there in front of him before him. Well, I don't know that anybody's surprised that he would no. be emerging. I, I, we're not. No. You know, all a, you had to do was watch an athlete. Yeah, all you had to do is watch him play at NC State, and you knew you were getting a starter when he walked in here. Right. Statman72. Will the starting offense scrimmage against the starting defense, or will the coaches try to prevent the starters from possibly infecting each other by limiting scrimmages to ones versus twos? You know, it's a good question because we're in very unique times here, but I, I just going based upon the way – coaches have always acted in previous years you yeah you know, like on the outside looking in you say oh well you know don't scrimmage ones versus ones too much because somebody's going to get hurt but coaches don't normally I've never seen coaches that really treat a preseason like that I, I I would imagine that nowadays everybody's a little bit more cautious but most coaches just think man I, we've got to test them on the field in practice to know what we're going to have in games yeah, and I think that this is where sort of the definition of what would get you caught up in contact tracing is worth knowing and committing to memory. It's 15 minutes of continuous exposure within six feet, not 
take a rep at the beginning of practice, a rep in the middle and a rep at the end. I mean, we, we've watched these periods, scrimmage periods at the end of practice. They're not 15 minutes of straight contact. Um, so I, I don't think this is one of those things where scrimmaging is going to be the big change. It's going to be weight training and it's going to be meetings and goo. That's where I think you really need to make the big changes. And but I think it's, easy to make the big changes with meeting in the Goog. Yes. Um, uh, it's not as easy as weight training because you do need you to get the most out of weight training. You do need to be with your teammates. The first thing of all, I mean, just speaking with Mick Asaph, he said that my number one memory of Notre Dame is getting through a Matt Bayless workout with the team because no one on the team would get through that workout alone. Mm-hmm. And that means we need each other and you need each other in the weight room. It's just part of, it's just part of football. And Tim, you would know that, Tim, you belong to a gym forever. You, I mean, you have friends at that gym, right? It's, yeah. It's a and community, I, and their community is 105 football players. And I got a sweet gym in my basement now. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the only one working out down there. So, yeah, yeah, you know, look, I, I think that I think it's a legitimate question because you have to view things much differently during during a pandemic. And I think even like, you know, guys that are standing behind the play, you can spread out a little bit more yes. than, you know, you don't have to be standing next. Yeah. Voices carry, voices carry just fine, especially football coaches' voices. In games, coming over to the sidelines, you're not sitting there right in the coach's face yep. and with other players. But it's, it's just yep. the way it's going to have to be. Absolutely. Question from Sweet Lou Corduroy. With the loss of Olmstead and Mabry in the last couple of weeks, along with only taking two offensive linemen last cycle, what do you see happening with a 2021 offensive line recruiting class? Do you think Mitchell Evans is an automatic move to the offensive line? Do they have to land another commit from an offensive lineman? Good question because it's, it's thinning. O'Malley, yeah. you, you are the, uh, you are the keeper of the offensive line total scholarship number. Uh, I do have the numbers. Three. I do have the numbers. The key is um, there's also from the class, Mayberry's class is also Luke Jones left too. So they went down to two right away. If you just kind of project ahead to 2022, I mean, I know Jarrett Patterson's a very good player, but it takes a lot to leave early, right? It takes a lot to leave early as a, as a, as a senior offensive line with eligibility remaining. So if you just get four in the 2022 class and keep your four this year, you've got 14 offensive linemen in 2022. That includes two fifth-year seniors in John Dirksen and Jarrett Patterson. Next year, you should have three returning fifth-year seniors in Banks, Lug and Gibbons, assuming Gibbons stays healthy. He's been given a clean bill of health now. Grunhard's a possibility as well. And Grunhard as well. Yeah. It's you have enough numbers. What you do have to do is get four and twenty. You have to get four in the next cycle. You have to go from four to four back to back. Um, Yeah, I agree. You can't have any of those fall off there. And you don't need to it's not an automatic move for Mitchell Evans. That's the oh, if we need to move him, we can move him when he's a sophomore, but you don't have to automatically do it. I wouldn't say it's automatic, but I I'd say that that's a kind of a I don't know if it's a 50-50 proposition right now but you do have that you do have that flexibility if if we were talking about instead of Olmstead and Mayberry if it was Christophic and Quinn Carroll then yeah I would I think it would yeah. it would warrant a change yeah. in your 2021 recruiting but we're not and I, I agree with O'Malley it means you got to take four next year for sure Pete, that's a great point because Colin Grunhard's a preferred walk-on. Logan Plant served for five years as a walk-on, and he was every bit the player in practice that the third-string guards and offensive linemen yeah. are that are scholarship players. And that's what you're talking about with numbers. You know, you're not you're not going to play Logan Plants, but he helped you for five years in five springs. 
And if you're looking for somebody to cross over from the defensive line, I think Hunter, Hunter Spears was that guy. And I don't, I don't really think that there's a candidate to, to do that now. I think you'd be, you'd be robbing from the three technique and the nose tackle and, and you don't, you don't want to do that. Uh, question from the Irish Rover race, uh, relay race, Lawrence keys, Kevin Austin, pre foot injury and Braden Lindsay versus Jafar Armstrong, Avery Davis, and Chris Tyree. Who wins? Uh, the second, I think the second group would win, probably maybe even comfortably because I like Lawrence Keys and Kevin Austin, but I'm not sure straight line speed is at the level of Avery Davis and Jafar Armstrong. And you know Tyree Lindsay, I just you could scrap the other four guys. I just watched Tyree and Lindsay. Yeah, I went Lindsay one, and then Tyree Davis two three. And Armstrong's probably five, but Lindsey is so fast. I'm going to say he just wins it for them. 40 yard dash. He's ahead by seven seconds somehow. That's what, what I like. About what, what, makes, <laughs> what makes me pick the second group is that I think Kevin Austin is clearly number six in that group. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So, I, I don't know who Armstrong is. not fast. Or, no, right. Armstrong yeah, is not fast, speed. but just yeah. flat out speed. I don't, I think he would be six out of that group. What if you had to put tacklers in the way? What if it was a football? Yeah, uh, what if a football, football was good? Then I'll take the first group. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Uh, GR, Irish fan, 22. A year ago at this time, Jonathan Dore was one of the biggest question marks and potential concerns on the team, but he eventually proved all the doubters wrong. Who do you think will be this year's Jonathan Dore? It's, we're, we're sort of short on candidates, right? I mean, there's, yeah, I think there's, so. there's nobody that I think you look at the roster and think like that's the doubts about that player match what we had about Jonathan door. I mean, right. think about when camp opened last year, it was Jonathan door or Harrison Leonard, this preferred walk on they brought in who's going to win the job. There's, there's nothing quite that I think uh, severe. I mean, it, it could be, could be Houston Griffith and Isaiah Pryor, um, you know, not on the same level as it was for door last year, but, we're sitting here, at least I, you know, I've heard that DJ Brown is really pushing for that, that position, um, which is shocking to me because of how talented Pryor and Griffith are physically. So maybe it's, it's the safety opposite uh, Kyle Hamilton that is, is the answer here. I think if you get the pulse of our readers, at least, they'd be surprised if Jordan Jenmark Heath pulls an Asmar Bilal. I would be surprised if he pulls an Asmar Bilal because he was a top five player for the game last year, which was crazier than Jonathan Dore. Um, Esmer Blau stunk in the first game. Yeah, he, <laughs> he was good. excellent. It was really yeah. weird. That, a lot of it had to do with that, that damn Louisville offense. And there, there, were, there were several guys that didn't play real good football. But That's, that, uh, that's a good point. Um, yeah, the, the, the problem with this this year is, I mean, Jonathan Dore had a really bad spring, and we watched it and reported on it, and I don't. They, nobody had a bad spring this year. <laughs> See, we don't, know had a, we don't know who it would be, but Dore and – I don't. I can't believe how good Dora became. Yeah, it, it's remarkable. Yeah, he's phenomenal, and I love you know I, kickers with a with a with a hook or a slice. You're always worried about a little wind, and then his stuff is true, man. If it comes if it comes off Jonathan Dora's foot, true, it's going to stay true through the ups uprights. One of his misses was comical, straight up. The wind blew as he was kicking at Stanford, too. It was just yeah. like, we all looked at you like, whoa, that, that's not on him. The ball, <laughs> the ball, he kicked it, and the ball just went whoosh, completely out of the way. 
But yeah, I mean, his year was as good as Justin Yoon ever had. Imagine saying that going into camp. I, I, I agree. And I, you know, these types of questions, I always preface it by saying there's pro- there's a better chance there won't be a Jonathan door this year, you know, because I mean, that, that, that was the outlier. That was yeah. the one that stood out from every, everything else. You know, we've been talking about Avery Davis, but I don't know that Avery Davis has been in the consciousness of Notre Dame fans. So, I mean, I think that from that standpoint, he's a guy that could really, I think he could emerge as a starter in the slot, sharing that with, you know, the, the second tight end, uh, Lawrence Keyes as well, of course, but I could see Avery Davis really emerging. I'll throw out a name that I, I don't I don't think he will, but I, it, it was my understanding that he was moving ahead of Nano Safo Mensa, and that was Kofi Wardlow. And if you see Kofi Wardlow physically, he looks great. Now I don't know that he's capable of playing. I don't even know that he's capable of playing at this level at, at Notre Dame. But if there were to be like a third a third big end to emerge uh, and get a shot, maybe him, but I'm trying, I'm stretching, trying to mm-hmm. fit the parameters of the, the Jonathan door comparison. Club Fred, Club Fred 90. Sorry, club predict the starting nickel and dime defense. I mean, I <laughs> go ahead, Pete. McLeod, McLeod Crawford, Bracey are your corners. And then I'll go with Hamilton prior and Griffith. Okay, that's that's my dime. That's, that's your, dime. your that's your dime. Where does Jack Lamb fit in, though? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I, guess <laughs> I didn't. I was not expecting it. I was just doing the back end. I no, mean, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, gotcha. Jack Lamb would be my linebacker, and then uh, you know the defensive line. Certainly, it's Ade and Hayes. I'm I'm not sure which one moves inside. Um, you know, to go with MTA, and I think it probably would be Ovia Gofo. Uh, right now over as, as sort of the third end in that package opposed to Isaiah Foskey, which is, you know, they're both, I think both will have uh, impactful falls, but uh, you know, Obi Ogufu on that, you know, quick clip that they had, you know, coming over to get the pick, like how many times has Notre Dame had a true, you know, drop end or shark end or Viper end, whatever you want to call it, that actually could drop. Um, and I think, you know, Ogufu could, that sort of helps you in those nickel and dime packages. I'm wondering if the dime goes a different way this year and if you can't actually call the dime because there's two linebackers, but I don't, I don't get, I don't take um, Ousu Kormo off the field. Yeah, I so, wouldn't either. Uh, and Sean I'm not Crawford, sure. I, Sean I'm, Crawford. And uh, I'm going to go with Pete and Tim have both mentioned his name because he was a former corner. Now I'm, I'm talking deep dime. I bet you DJ DJ Brown is better in coverage than both Houston Griffith and Isaiah Pryor. See, that's where that that's where I was going to get with with Pryor and Griffith. Uh, you know, I'd rather see KJ Wallace. You know, so, somebody along somebody along those lines. Um, I mean, Hamilton's the only safety that you can comfortably say that safety is going to be on the field in in nickel and dime. I'm I'm not sure that the second safety. Well. Crawford would those, would, yeah. would probably those, slide. Those three corners will be on the field in some way, of course. But yeah, and and uh, following up with what Pete said on the D line, I think that's interesting. Ogundeji stuff definitely on the free field. Fosky, Agufo, uh, Agofu. I continue to mispronounce his name, and I'm working on it, man. I'm working on it. If we have football, then, you'll stop because he'll make yeah, plays, and then you yeah, can right. Hear his name. And and then um, 
you know, do you slide Hayes inside? Do you keep I him? do. Yeah, I, I would. I mean, they have in the past. He's also he's, smart, and that matters when you're doing uh, part of the stunts and twists and everything, and he knows everywhere to go, and he's mm-hmm. he's just a he's a good – he was good against Clemson doing it. I could do it against, well, you do it against Duke. Yeah. I was going to say, that's probably where Dalen Hayes is really at his best. Is that kind yeah. of an element of surprise between the ends? Um, he's, he's at 270, so he's kind of part tackle-ish, part end-ish, so to speak. <laughs> Um, I don't know. It, it, it's open, and we know they like Jack Lamb. Jack Lamb's going to be on the field in in, yeah. uh, in passing situations as well. So we'll see. But I, I'd rather see a Isaiah Rutherford or KJ Wallace, um, you know, as opposed to just on the surface right now, yeah. Pryor or Griffith. Just play twelve. Be tougher. That'll play be man, yeah. It's t- it's, it's tough good. to beat yeah. that twelve man defense. Uh, we're going to close with a question from Joseph Ramos. And his question is, can you offer any understanding to letting a player wear number zero, but we can't have anyone wearing number one? Do you think letting a player wear number one really sends that much of a significant message in any manner? I mean, certainly <laughs> Brian Kelly has been down this path before. They, they, when they made the number one jersey significant of <laughs> having the number one all-time winning percentage. Yeah. And then it all blew up after uh, – you know, the sanctions came down, that was the end of number one. And I just don't think anyone at Notre Dame is eager to revisit uh, that scenario right now. Exactly right. That's why there's no number one. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I just, I, uh, Joseph Ramos has spent more time thinking on this than (laughs) I have, because I, I mean, I I think zero is an ugly number. Uh, And I, and I'm sure it won't be the last time that y'all hear me say that. I apologize. Uh, and then number one, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, I don't see any reason why somebody can't wear number one, but if that's, if, if that's the scenario that Brian Kelly created and it had to be all time winning as percentage and then so be it. But, uh, okay. That'll be the last that I think about that topic. We actually have a final question that is a new tradition to end our August podcast. Oh, thank you. Terry Benedict, who did not write in this time, but he has written in previously, we're going to borrow from, how excited are you letting yourself be that there might be a Notre Dame football game in 23 days? A lot less than I felt with 25 days, two, two days ago when O'Malley and I did a mini podcast. I, that's just the way this is, man. From day to day, every couple of days, week to week, you feel good about it, you feel bad about it. We didn't feel good about it at day 30. We felt a lot better about it at day 25. And I don't feel good about it at all at day 23. Uh, yeah, we're, this is a valley in the, in the roller coaster of, of <laughs> August. We're at the bottom of the hill right now. Um, the American, not, e- the American Eagle bottom of the hill. And I don't know if we're going back up. Um, so that's, you know, when, when the testing numbers come back, if Notre Dame is like, oh, just two positives, I'll be like, oh, we're back up the hill. We're moving, we're moving. I can, I can hear the chain under the cars. We're moving back up the hill, but right now it's tough. It's tough to, tough to see the Duke, how the Duke game happens. I think Jack should get this content up so it's relevant. Yeah. <laughs> and if they have two positives again, only two positives, I will volunteer a podcast anytime to uh, do, go ahead and talk something positive about their po- – we'll do a five-minute podcast about two positives. It'll be great. Do any of us expect two positives or less? No, I don't. No, but I, no. I mean, I'm cool if they say there's three with six. Yeah, no, no doubt. Yeah, or and, five, and, that'd be yeah, fine. Five, yeah. And one thing, one message that we've heard consistently – 
that, that Brian, Mes- Brian Kelly has expressed to his team is, quote, we are playing football this fall. So, I mean, they are, they are completely in the mindset of making it happen. Unfortunately, there are some exterior factors that, uh, and I wrote about again in Thursday Thoughts today that, you know, I continue to really, really respect and marvel what Brian, what Brian Kelly has done in terms of pulling this team together. It's a unified front. He's done a tremendous job. You see a, a wide receiver at Florida State speak out and then apologize a couple of days later that he overreacted to the protocol. That hasn't happened in Notre Dame, and I give Brian Kelly a lot of credit. So they're playing on man, and we're trying to as well, but uh, uh, a little bit pessimistic in day 23. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.